Cheers, my friend. No. Oh. Toast. Roast. Bottoms Ooh, up. That's really good. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Conversations in Cinema. Mm-hmm. My name is David. I'm joined by my good buddy, Josh. That's me. And you're here listening in as we do something that's never been done before. Talk about movies on a podcast. Gasp. This episode, we are discussing Martin Scorsese's The Aviator, starring mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio and everybody else in Hollywood. Legitly, when I was watching this, because I didn't look up the <laughs> cast before I started watching this, Neither I was just I, like, yeah. holy fuck. Every, like even towards like the fucking second end of the second act or something, and William Defoe shows up, and I'm yeah, just like, what? For, for the one scene. One scene. 15 minutes. Yeah. He was probably there for half a day. And they're all like, they're not like cameo cameo. They're like heavy hitters, like Jude Law plays Errol Flynn. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate Beckinsale, Ava Gardner. Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes on and on. Ben Wyatt. We need to talk about from Parks and Recreation. His mm-hmm. name is not Ben White, but that's his name. Yeah. It's so funny. I'm so used to him playing mm-hmm. just goofball characters. Seeing him as that character, just I thought sleaze bag. I thought it was just an act. Like it was a Halloween costume. Yeah, it's so good. And then John C. Riley's in it. He's he's John C. Riley. I love it when John C. Riley plays plays the straight man. Mm-hmm. Because I think we know him mainly from comedies. Oh yeah. He does it so well. Yeah. Too. Because he's just the the earnest, like, no, Howard, what are you doing? Anyway. I haven't even made it past the intro. So we uh, are not having a beer today as we are. We often do. We usually will will have something from our local brewery Mm -hmm. around. Um, But this movie seemed to deem a glass of whiskey. Yeah. I mean, it's a fancy movie about a fancy man with fancy pants. With fancy problems. And oh, so many problems. So today, David, we are drinking uh, Weller whiskey. Weller. Which is, we are drinking the Green Label, which is the mm-hmm. special reserve. Mm-hmm. This is a whiskey made by the same company that makes Buffalo Trace. Oh, I knew I liked them. Mm-hmm. Buffalo Trace is super rare here for some stupid reason. It's because they don't like our state. Well. But you can get this here <laughs> super easy. Yeah. But it's a straight bourbon. Mm-hmm. It is 90 proof. Yeah, 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 good, good. And its color is medium copper. It is a uh, medium copper. That's what it says. I mean, most whiskeys are kind of a copperish tint, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And my personal opinion is it is delicious. It is. It's very smooth, not too strong. Of course, our ice cubes did melt while we were shooting the shit on a sidebar episode. Because mm-hmm. um, we're just a bunch of chatty Cathy's. We are. We are. Um, But today, Josh, Mm -hmm. this is our second film in our Scorsese series. Mm -hmm. Our first one, we talked about Goodfellas, Mm -hmm. the classic, iconic Goodfellas, Mm -hmm. which you saw for the first time, Mm -hmm. and I'd seen multiple times. Saw for the first time, liked it, understood what all the hype was about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ray Liotta still scares the living pants off of me. He he just has that unsettling, like, serial killer look, Mm -hmm. you know? Um Sorry, Ray, if you're listening. Yeah. You just... I'm sure you're a nice guy. You're just fucking weird looking dude. Yeah, but you you played those characters so well. Mm. He's the weakest part of that movie. Terrifies me. But He's, this time... David said it right, not me. We are... We are... We watched... Not are watching, but we watched The Aviator. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to do a quick little informational fact check about this movie. Yeah, go for it, man. It's I got I got lots of facts. It's for you. it's a movie 
about flight, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Flight is in it. I won't say it's a movie about flight. Mm-hmm. And we live in the smack dab ass of America. And I was just like, I wonder where you could go. Um, and we live f- in the heart. And fly in two hours and 50 minutes. Yeah. Spoiler alert. It's everywhere in the United States. Yep. So you could fly. We are at the crossroads of civilization. Mm-hmm. And watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. On on the bit of the long side, two hours, 50 minutes, which mm-hmm. I feel like it kind of used every single minute of, of it. As yeah. most biopics go, I feel like most biopics really do kind of get a bit long in the tooth. Especially whenever you have somebody whose entire life A to B has happened. Mm-hmm. You have so much to fulfill. Yeah, it's, it's tough to pace a real life, even though it is like heavily edited and stylized mm-hmm. at certain parts. It is kind of hard to, you know. Yeah. yeah, I never felt like it was dragging. Yeah, no. And also because I don't know that much about Howard Hughes. So like yeah. I was just kind of soaking it all in. Because you'd never seen this movie before, right? Because I have, I had never to have. Mm-mm. I didn't even know what airplanes were until I watched this movie. Well, it's because you walk everywhere. I do. I'm old fashioned that way. Yeah, that's why your calves are so fucking huge. Yeah, these boots are made for walking. I mean, they're extra large boots to wrap around those damn calves. Mm-hmm. They moo. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I got him, ladies and gentlemen. I got him. <sighs> Finally. So this movie came out in. 2005? 2004. 2004. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, it's not 16 years ago. Mm-mm. 17 years ago now. Yeah. I graduated high school in 2005. High 5.05. I'm a, a perfect 10. That was a, I graduated in 10 of high school. High five to myself. Um, so what? <laughs> Where to begin? Yeah. I... I was sitting there watching this movie and this is just going to go all over the place. Uh, weird start just out the gate. It is, but it hooked me, man. Oh yeah. Like it definitely has the intrigue of a naked child standing in a hot pot of water. I mean, I guess that's just what you did. Well, is that that not how you take baths? Well, (laughs) with your mother making you spell quarantine, which I've, my first note that I wrote was quarantine, lol, these mm-hmm. fuckers. Because, <laughs> you know, at the time of this, we're on the tail end, fingers crossed, of quarantine, of, of the COVID pandemic, COVID-19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, my arm is still sore. I got my first vaccine your yesterday. First, your first shoddy. My first shoddy. Mm. Um, so exciting times for there. But yeah, it, it, it was fun. I was like, ah, oh, really? But I do, I love this opening scene because it, it establishes kind of like the uh, the tone, the artistic flavor that Scorsese is going for here, mm-hmm. and it's very different from Goodfellas, which is a very straightforward, yeah, gangster flick. Well, because I would say I can I can tell you what I think Scorsese's style is, mm-hmm. and I would say that it is not super apparent in this movie, except for the camera movements. I yeah, think. because like and production design and spoiler alert i think you can like i think his signature to his movies is his camera movement yes i agree um the stylization of this movie was so overboard which i i can't decide if i like it or not i loved it because yeah i those were my favorite parts of the movie so 
uh, I Googled it and I read about it and it made me like it more. I just wish it was delivered better. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Which so, part specifically? Kind the, of like his mania? No, the color tones. Oh, cause I, it took me a bit cause I, I had to, first of all, I have a bone to pick. Mm-hmm. Pick away. I thought this movie was on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Turns out it is no longer on Netflix. I thought this movie could have been on Hulu. Not on Hulu. Nope. Amazon Prime. They have a lot of stuff. Not there either. Nope. I had to buy this movie. Oh. I started a free trial of Paramount. God damn it. I probably could have done that, huh? And watched it for free. I probably could have done that. But worth it. What was I saying? Color tone. Bone to pick. When, When I, well, that was my bone to pick is that I had to buy it even though I don't regret it because it was worthwhile purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, the color tone, I, th- I, I thought at first my, my TV was fucking up. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's like my color balance off. Is like the coding weird. Well, and then I, and then it kind of sunk in. I was like, Oh, this looks like a black and white movie that has been recolorized. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I dig it because I love it when movies are stylized even overly so mm-hmm. um, or are doing things that are like, that make me go, huh? Well, cool. cause it, it threw me cause I thought the streaming service or my TV or something was messed up as sure. well. Cause I was not prepared for it. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, in my investigations I discovered is that each time period is supposed to reflect the time periods, film style. Yeah. yeah. And, I've watched a lot of movies. Sure. Uh, I know that's a weird flex, but there was some of them <laughs> that I was just, especially, especially on this podcast. I know. How dare you sir. Uh, stay in your lane. I know. But there, like there was ones that were just poking out. I was just like, I can't like, I can't think of a movie that would have looked this way from this time period. Sure. The teal and orange was driving me kind of crazy. And I think yeah. a lot of it has to do with the fact that here in the recent time, teal and orange was super big on YouTube and Instagram and everything. So I just kind of have a sour taste in my mouth for it, but things were overexposed. They were doing all that kind of stuff. And I love light, the light use of practical in frame lighting effects in Mm -hmm. this movie. Chef's kiss. I, I love Technicolor. It's honestly one of my favorite ways of color processing because I think it makes it look really rich. Explain, explain, Technicolor. Because, I mean, there's color in movies. Cool. Technicolor. That's a phrase that's been used. And you see it at the front of movies and stuff. Yeah. It, Technicolor was a, if I remember correctly, because we're, we're dusting some cobwebs off my brain right now. That's what I'm here for. Here's uh, the I'm that French maid from Breeding the Beast. Technicolor, oh, oui, oui. <laughs> Technicolor was a company that would color process your film. So you would shoot it okay. on Kodak or Fee, uh, Fuji or whatever mm-hmm. you wanted, and you would give it to them. Polaroid. Yeah. And then they would process it so they had a certain look to it so you would shoot the negative of your film and then they would be in charge of adding the colors to it i probably got that all fucking wrong no but i mean it it, it, there's an element of truth to it i'm sure where because there's a hire a company to colorize your movie mm -hmm. because there's there's like so many movies from the era whenever we switch from black and white to color that just look almost like moving paintings because they're so just color rich and saturated that they yeah. just look awesome. Yeah. But kind of, especially in, in contrast to that opening scene where it's very dreamlike, mm-hmm. very ethereal, very stylized. You have, I mean, it, it it's very like off putting, mm-hmm. but 
um, everything is bathed in this very warm golden light. Mm-hmm. Nothing's there's no, none of that like period piece technically like period piece coloring to it. So then whenever you cut over to him filming hell's angels or right. Yeah. Yeah. Hell's angels. Um, it is kind of a jarring transition, but, uh, man, I, yeah, I, I dug it, but let, let me do a quick background on the man himself. Cause this movie is about Howard Hughes played by in this movie by Leonardo DiCaprio, who man, well, he, he, he's, he's probably going places, you know, he's a decent actor. He might have some acting chops in him. Yeah. Um, this is actually, th- this was Scorsese and DiCaprio's second collaboration. Mm. Can you tell me their first? It came out in 2002. Oh, Titanic. <sighs> Could you imagine if Scorsese actually did the Titanic? So uh, it'd probably be pretty good. It probably would have been better. Yeah. I, I can't tell you why. We probably would have seen a lot more people being killed. <laughs> <laughs> we would have been emo- more emotionally invested in a lot of more people. There would have been a lot more domest- domestic exp- disputes. Oh my God. Can you, okay. So this is a fun thing. Yeah. Uh, the dinner scene with, um, uh, Kate Blanchett's character's name. Yeah. Catherine Hepburn. Catherine, Catherine Hepburn. Um, whenever he goes to the family dinner Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, can you imagine that with that, uh, the rich white people on Titanic that is, um, Oh fuck. I know you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, but because there's still, they're both those like uppity middle, like super white class. Yeah. High, oh, yeah. Because they're the ones on the Titanics are just assholes. But like you get so gritty into like who these people are. Yeah. You don't care moment. about money because you've always had it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, when he said that, I was just like, damn. Fucking good line. Oh, yeah. Never get, never get in, in an argument with Howard Hughes whenever he can he, like say his piece because yeah. you will when, lose when he can actually hear you. Yeah. Um, oh, that was, yeah, that's a good scene. But yeah, no, the first collaboration that Scorsese and uh, DiCaprio did was Gangs of New York. Oh yeah. I forget that that comes out before that because I was also sitting watching this movie and just being like, has he ever has more, has Scorsese ever made a just current day film? Cause I think it's the departed. Yeah. The departed would be it. Yeah, and I think that that's it. The, the Departed, uh, the Irish. No. I mean, you could probably cheat the Irishman in there because it does flashback stuff. Yeah, it's all flashback. Yeah, but yeah, ninety percent of it takes place in olden, olden, the olden days of you know mm-hmm. the seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, yesteryear, the yesteryear. No, that's true, but I think that's. I don't know. I don't know but I mean, like to be fair, that's just his jam. There's gotta be something, something else. But to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, he started making movies in the '70s, and it was modern day then. So, you know. But the movies he made in the '70s weren't based in the '70s. Taxi Driver. Is Taxi Driver based in the '70s? Yeah. Goodfellas in the '90s. Well, that was kind of the '70s. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Goodfellas mm-hmm. is like '50s to '80s. That's yeah. Stupid. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I guess Taxi Driver might actually be his first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and a slew of other ones because he made so many. But... Uh, he was a terrible taxi driver. <laughs> Just... <laughs> uh, anywho, DiCaprio, who is... Uh, 
I kind of, it's, it's interesting to see hit the fate. I always put Scorsese into phases, mm-hmm. his De Niro phase and his DiCaprio phase. Oh yeah. I could see that. Like it's a, an artist in their muse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And he, then he kind of went back to, for Irishman, he went back to De Niro, like the old school people. Mm-hmm. And he's about, he's filming a new one here in Oklahoma right now with DiCaprio. I forget the name of it. I can't remember. It's a, like a long name. It's something about rain, I think. Yeah, rain. But um, yeah, fantastic. It's it's shocking to me that he, neither, neither of them won Oscars for this movie. Mm-mm, no, uh, they both have essentially been uh, passed over on Oscars when they deserve them. Not that the other people who won didn't deserve them, but like... I think you could say that DiCaprio and Scorsese both won Oscars for movies Mm. that aren't the reason that they won those Oscars. Yeah, because Scorsese won his for The Departed. Mm -hmm. Which is really good. but Very good. Very good movie. But I don't know if it's necessarily Oscar worthy. But his body of work is. Yeah. Um, And then DiCaprio won it for Sleeping Inside of a Horse. uh, Yeah. Getting uh, (laughs) fucked by a bear. Yeah. Man. That oh, movie that... is rough. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And there's a scene in this one whenever he crashes in the plane where I thought to myself, man, I've seen DiCaprio get really fucked up on the screen. Just really. You've you've never seen him get decapitated. God dang it, that joke's there. Leave. I just got it. You should got it. Just take a drink and listen to me talk about Howard Hughes. <sighs> so this movie, The Aviator, is about, is about Howard Hughes, who really is legitly the real-life Tony Stark. Oh, yeah. This dude is a baller-ass boss. Um, Howard Hughes was an incredibly prolific businessman, inventor, record-setting pilot, engineer, director, playboy, and philanthropist. He was essentially the real-life Tony Stark, like I said. Uh, he, he, he Befitting his legendary persona... There is some debate about the location and date of his birth, though most sources say it was either Houston or, I think, even better, Humble, Texas. Yeah, because that's where the business was based out of, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it would make more sense. Yeah. Uh, about and he, he always said Christmas Eve of 1905, December mm-hmm. 24th. Mm-hmm. Um, as we see in The Aviator, he had an immense amount of wealth thanks to his family oil money, and his father was an inventor of um, different mm-hmm. things. and Not oils, parts. Well, I mean, it, it was parts made for drills in oil. Mm-hmm. So oil money. Yeah. But he made the distinction. It's not oil money. It's parts. You know what? I didn't pay that much attention. I also didn't read closely in my notes. Um, but all this money after his parents passed away, it, it funded his laser-focused pursuit on innovation in the field of aviation, among other wildly expensive pursuits like films and everything else. As with many icons, his fame gave way to legal trouble and a constant losing battle with OCD and chronic pain from a brutal plane crash, of which he actually had multiple because, you know. That's how learning to fly Uh, planes you invent works. He was also, also partially deaf which was played up in the film to portray his sense of isolation from others Mm -hmm. to, to a beautiful, beautiful effect. Um, he was a legitimate child genius at age 11. He built Houston's first wireless radio transmitter at 11. And then at 12, he built his own motorcycle from steam engine parts. He took from his dad (laughs) and then he took his first flying lessons at age 14. So you could say, um, had a pretty, productive preteen experience. Oh yeah. 
He's uh, a, he he already did more than I've done. I mean, all of this is in, is Tony Stark. Oh yeah, Iron Man. I mean, he it, it, yeah, it's just an origin story. There's just no superpowers in the real life. So, so Batman. Yeah, sort of. Batman doesn't have superpowers. Except instead of flying, Howard Hughes could have worked out. Yeah, but that would have been dirty. Yeah. Um, when both his parents died quick succession, he inherited a mass amount of wealth and independence. In 1925, he moved to L.A. to become a filmmaker. Many of these exploits we see in the film. I was kind of surprised. Like I said, I didn't do a lot of research about our new his Howard Hughes story. So like whenever we start and he's shooting a movie, I was just like, wait, it's called The Aviator not the filmmaker, like what's going on here. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know much about the dude. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like, okay, he's making a movie. And then I kind of caught on like, Oh, he's just a rich dude who is obsessive. And if he thinks he wants to do something, he fucking does it. Cause he can pay for it. Oh yeah. Like have a weather guy come and just be like, you're working for me now. Yeah. So quick trivia for you. All those planes in the opening sequence and everything like that, Mm -hmm. real planes, Mm -hmm. CGI planes, Mm -hmm. something in between. On the ground, they were real. Mm -hmm. Flying, they were CGI. Nope. There's not a single CGI plane in this movie. Really? Even though I thought that CGI doesn't look good, it's because they were CGIing them inside the plane. But all the most of them are model planes. Oh, so like it's just like scale work. Mm-hmm. A lot of scale work. Ooh, that yeah. kind of explains things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because something about it, it feels off. It feels off. I mean, the, it's two thousand four. Some of that green screen, like the depth, isn't really there. Like whenever you're seeing him in the cockpit, and he's, you see the ground beneath him. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, I, I kind of, I, I like this character a lot immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in the preview room the dailies when they're oh, watching yeah. the dailies. Uh, and he's like, he just keeps on going back and forth and back and forth. He's like, this movie shit. Find me clouds. And then Bilbo Baggins shows up. Mm-hmm. I'm going on an adventure. <laughs> We've been waiting for eight months. Find me some clouds. <laughs> in Oakland, the clouds in Oakland. <laughs> yeah. And then like, it's so funny because they, because Scorsese has a really knack, like a good knack for setting up a character to where you pretty much get the gist of him mm-hmm. fairly quickly. You get one side of him, I will say, very quickly, and that is the laser lock focus. Yeah. Anything I say, I'm going to focus until it's done. Oh, I'm trying to shoot this movie. I'll just go ahead and invent an airplane while I do it. Yeah. And money is of no consequence to me. Because then he's up there when they get the clouds and they're filming and then the camera gets knocked off the top of the plane. He just pulls out a smaller one. Mm-hmm. Which, fun fact, that movie did win an Academy Award for cinematography. Because nothing like that had ever been done before. No, ever. And that's something we we realize about Howard Hughes, which is crazy, how actually influential he was. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what happens when you give a super intelligent person, a shit ton of money and nobody ever says no to him. No. Oh, yeah. You just get something. You can't, it's really literally throwing the spaghetti at the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and just seeing what sticks. Yeah. Um, 
So it was kind of interesting, like just the slow burn, if you will, of the takeoff of this movie mm-hmm. to where we spend a lot of time focusing on the movie, the movie that he's making mm-hmm. in the first part. Um, cause we see kind of the, the trials and tribulations and everything. We kind of get a good feel for the characters. Um, and then he finally gets to make his movie like shot it. And then you can see as he's going through like that editing process, even after the premiere, mm-hmm. he's like, you know, get so-and-so over here. We got to take some of these frames out and all this kind of stuff. And we got to do, we got to reshoot, reshoot the, the whole movie for sound, for sound, which I love that moment. Cause it, it's, for films nerds like us, it's it's that turn of the not turn of the century necessarily, but it's when it it's the before times and the after times. Mm-hmm. There was uh, silent films and there were silent movie stars and it was everything, and then sound happened, and it changed everything. Um, and Howard Hughes knew where the world was going or the wind was blowing. Oh yeah, he knew where the clouds were going to be, mm-hmm. so he reshot the whole thing. Um. Spending like three and a half million dollars, which nowadays is like a super small indie movie. Yeah. So, but, you know, obviously for inflation, for inflation. Yeah. I'm an economist. Look at me. $500 billion. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Um, also, I, I couldn't confirm this, but I believe he was America's first billionaire. I mean, I could see it. Yeah. 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 I don't know that either. I saw it somewhere. I will say there's a hashtag long take alert alert. Yeah. We're at in the editing room is it when they're going through the reels. Mm-hmm. It's not that long, um, but it, for this movie, it's pretty long. Sure. Yeah. You don't have a lot of those like following tracking shots that you had in Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. It's uh, just uh, about like 15, 20 seconds shy of a minute. Okay. And it's when, they're going through the reels room and the, you see everybody doing the spools and the camera's moving in that very Scorsese way, mm-hmm. following all the action and everything. And then it right. ends. Yes, and you kind of like you're spinning around, spinning around, spinning around. It's mm-hmm. kind of like that sweeping. Like, and I love that about him because you, his style puts you in the scene. Mm-hmm. Like you get a really a real feel for the space that the action is in. It's yeah, because awesome. it it just puts you into that scene. And one of the things that I would kept getting from this movie over and over again is it almost felt, and there's a lot of moments that a thousand percent feel this way, that they feel like a stage play to me. Sure. More than it feels like a movie, which is not bad. It's neither here nor there, but it's like one of those things. Like I feel like I'm watching a stage play. Yeah. So having moments, because I feel like the camera movement and all the action is very much front loaded. And then towards the latter half, you kind of just get more. The camera doesn't do a whole lot because we're focusing more on Hughes Mm -hmm. and the world around him. Yeah. As opposed to how can the camera show this? You're basically just watching a human being. Essentially, I don't know, like self-implode. Yeah, a little bit. Or not a little bit, a lot. Yeah. Um, I think in that theater preview and, and when they're watching the dailies or whatever, I think, again, the use of light in this movie is exceptional. Kind of throughout, you always see the flashing of the bulbs, um, which is just a great effect. Well, like when he's walking down the red carpet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Because it, 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 it makes you, it communicates his, um, his what's un, the word? Like uncomfortableness. 
Because it's, yeah, it's almost like a, like a Dis- discomfort. Because mm-hmm. it's almost like a PTSD like trigger. Like you just see mm-hmm. like him just getting super uncomfortable. And it's literally walking on glass. Mm-hmm. You know, um, man, twenties were messy. Oh yeah, just a lot of shit flying all over the place. Well, um, didn't have to recycle. I guess not. But yeah, just the use of light. And there are certain times whenever Hughes is standing alone and he is standing in a void, mm-hmm. and then another character comes up and the room lights up. And then they leave and the whole room goes dark again around him. Mm-hmm. It, it's just great artistic flares in an otherwise straight biopic, mm-hmm. which I just, I, I just dig it because it, it can be, it's, it's a great way of communicating the inner dialogue and inner struggle of this guy. Well, cause the article and I'll try and find it later, but the guy that I was reading that was talking about the use of color in here, because he was saying about how like it represents each time period. Yes. Which to me, I I would be, I think the thing that would help me identify what was happening, not knowing what was happening at the time is if there was more like timestamps of we've now switched into this error as opposed to we go from this weird looking shot to this other like weird color tone shot. It makes perfect sense to me now that I understand that that's what he's doing. And I was just being dumb at the time. Um, but he was theorizing that whenever certain characters, especially like love interests come into Hughes's life, I want to talk about that. Uh, the color palette of the world starts to change. Yeah. Which I mean, I love shit like that. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the icon Mm -hmm. that is Kate Blanchett, Mm -hmm. how phenomenal she is in this movie. I have a problem with her. God damn it. The fact that she's one of these people that has okay, never okay, aged. Okay. Bro, true. So whenever I see her in something like this and I look at her today and she looks the same. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm just like, wait. In some ways, it looks younger. Yeah. I'm just like, what is going on here? She is a vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the legitimate problem that I had, and it's not even really a problem, it's just something that I noticed, is that her... Her speak that mm-hmm. yes. she's doing for a dialogue, I think is true to character, yep. but not necessarily true to the world because nobody else talked that way. Well, people did though. And this is the thing, it, her her accent, she did very specific accent work for where she was from, Catherine Hepburn was from, which mm-hmm. is like upstate, upstate. Um, and... A lot of people did. I even wrote down my notes. People need to go back to talking this way. Hey, all right. Let's talk about that movie today. Hey, see? Mm-hmm. We're here talking about the aviator, about Howard Hughes, and about how his descendant of madness crumpled himself and bankrupted his empire. But no, he persevered. See? I wonder why people talk that way. I don't know. You know, and there's something, it's just the radio voice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always putting on a show. It's always acting. Um but I loved her performance in this and the, her, the, the, the oversized, the fake teeth, mm-hmm. um, worked well. Like it just added that scent, that little sense of being different. Um, and I love their relationship as well, where she is a wild card. She is a bit like, as she says, uh, she is eccentric, right? It's, it's there. It's that awesome scene of them golfing. And she realizes that he's a bit deaf. She doesn't care. Yeah. You know, and, and, <laughs> And she's like, and now we know the sort of truth. I sweat and you're deaf. Aren't we a fine pair of misfits? Mm-hmm. And I was like, 
you're great. You're swell. Oh, yeah. Golly. Golly G. The only gal I know that says golly. <laughs> golly G's. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, uh, yeah. I, I wrote down Kate is drawn, drawn to Howard because of their similar eccentricities when he professes feeling insane. And that really, that's the only time you really see him vulnerable, mm-hmm. like to another person. Um, you can tell it attracts her to him even more. Mm-hmm. Like it almost turns her on. Uh, it's like they're each other's life wrapped in a storm, but he doesn't like to share. And when Kate is kind of socializing and especially with, with mayor, um, along comes Ava Gardner played by Kate, Kate Beckinsale, which was all of her dialogue 80 yard. Cause I don't think, it, or was that a stylistic choice? Cause it always seemed like it was in my ears and not in the scene. Do you know, think that that was on purpose, like to portray her like larger than life? I'm Ava Gardner, you know? Maybe. I don't know if it was necessarily ADR. It didn't stick out to me that way. Mm. I'd have to rewatch it. Yeah. Um, but Kate, Catherine Hepburn loves the tangible, like mm-hmm. the fame. And Howard loves the ethereal, kind of the dream, the mm. chase, um, whatever's next. And when Kate realizes that she isn't the center of attention with Howard anymore, Especially in that scene whenever he's eating ice cream. Don't you put it on the table? He puts it on the table and, and talking on the phone in the middle of their argument. Mm-hmm. And she, you can tell like she is just about to just snap and go into a rage, which, God, she's so good. She's oh, yeah. She's so good at that. Um, when she realizes that she isn't the center of attention with Howard anymore, she leaves. And Howard does not take this well. Mm-mm. And it, he burns all his clothes, gets paranoid, and begins his descent into true weirdness because his anger is gone. And that's kind of where we see him slide down that hill. Yeah, because all the ticks, all the the weirdness, as you say, like really starts to ramp up mm-hmm. from this moment on. Like at the beginning, like you can kind of tell whenever you see him like wash wash his hands or do any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you can cue into the fact that there's something there's something here. But yeah. it definitely starts to unravel because you can even see the connection that he has with her in the fact that he's w- willing to share milk with her. Yeah. On the airplane. Yeah. And drink from it after she drinks from it. Yeah. Because you do, you do, it's an interesting character arc or it's a character arc for the audience mm-hmm. where you start out on the film set and you're like, Oh, this guy's kind of eccentric. He's kind of an asshole actually. And then you get to realize, Oh, he's kind of like a hurting person Mm -hmm. and he's kind of eccentric and lonely. And then you feel sorry for him. Um, and then you don't. And then he just dives off the deep end. Well, and also like you see the character, the, like he's, he's good at, Pretty much everything. Yeah, everything comes pretty easy to him. Yeah, yeah, except for the the show, like the social stuff. Yeah. So, like he's good. He just figures out airplanes super fast and making a movie. Like and like he does these huge bets, like essentially mortgaging his family company yeah. to finish the movie. And he's like, "What if you don't make it back?" And he's like, "I will." It's just like, and that's not There's... the only time that he did that. No. Uh, the the only way from him is forward. Mm-hmm. The way of the future. The way of the future. 
man, that's brilliant. Um, there's a line that Kate Blanchett says in the plane whenever she takes the wheel and Howard's in the back mm-hmm. and she's like, a lot of her lines are killer funny. When she says, Howard, there's a rather alarming mountain heading our way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just got me. I don't know why. Just got me. Oh yeah. No, I liked, I liked her dialogue. Yeah. And I thought it was very interesting to like set her up as that kind of character and then for them to go to her home. Ugh, so awkward, but in a horribly awesome way. Yeah, because then it kind of shows the the face that she puts on around them mm-hmm. and everything. Because he even calls her out on it. And yep. to me, I was just like, I don't know if that's even necessarily like a call out. I think that that just might be who she is. Well, again, he kind of calls her out on it um, whenever they're breaking up. And he's like, do you even know when you're acting anymore? Yeah. Because everything is a part, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. And she's so good because you, she, she plays the, the eccentricities. We'll say in that word a lot, mm-hmm. all, uh, very, very well. And she's a firecracker and she's um, boisterous and vocal and um, kind of carefree. But then you all, there's always like that, that hint behind the eyes. I always think an actor is fantastic when you, then they don't have to say anything, but you can just see it in their eyes where she is like trapped in there. Like mm-hmm. you can see that she is desperate to feel something mm-hmm. and desperate to have, have someone. And then especially when Howard, you know, doesn't fulfill that need. Like he says, you know, she leaves. She doesn't have the co-star that she wants. She mm. wants to be the star, not a co-star. That's very true. You know. Um, I also just realized Tony Stark's father, his name is Howard. Hmm. I wonder if that's on purpose. Probably. Probably. Yeah. But so much of this movie, like, is setting up these scenes and these these moments for these mm. characters just to fully like just dig into each other. And like mm-hmm. it gives you the viewer a chance to get vested to figure out stuff like it does a really good job at setting up these like theater pieces or stage acts however you want to like look at it sure but while still delivering on so much more than kind of like i can't remember when we talked about this but like one of my complaints of modern day comedies is the camera is on sticks and it's locked off and it's like, okay, you say something funny and then it switches. Like we're doing much more than that here. Yeah. But like, it's still giving essentially like, I can't think of any standout moments of like camera movement or like the sound design taking over or doing anything. Everything just plays up to those parts of elevating the actors in the moments that they're in to just, help them deliver something that's really awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's a shot at the very end that I took note of, um, where it's the court hearing scene Mm -hmm. in front of the, in front of Senate Congress, Congress, whoever, um, when they're trying to bone him Mm -hmm. because monopolies and bribery and all that stuff, um, from, from Pan Am Mm -hmm. played by Alec Baldwin, because of course he's in this movie too. Mm -hmm. This is everybody. Um, and, it just the camera just sits and it's like a medium a medium shot like a medium close up almost on on DiCaprio 
Mm-hmm. Just him sitting at the table and he's saying his speech. And it's not like cutting to a close up different angles to getting coverage of the senators. Mm-hmm. It's just on him as he's saying his speech. And it's, I was like, oh man, Scorsese is very good at moving the camera when we need to, but he knows when to just sit down and shut up mm-hmm. and let the character do the work for him. Oh yeah. Um, Cause it leads me to a statement that Scorsese has been saying or cited as saying a lot lately that cinema is, you know, dying or something to that effect where modern movies, they don't make cinema anymore. Like there's no room. Like we need, we need movie theaters to, for real movies, not super, you know, it's something to that effect. Yeah. And I can't help it. I'd be interested to know your thoughts, but I kind of get what he's saying. Cause I don't know if anybody would make this movie besides Scorsese. These, these, this kind of biopic, you know, in a prolific way with these big actors. I mean, I don't know if that's even really true. Maybe it's just that it's the Scorsese style that that's not going to be being made. Yeah. I would say it's probably more the, the style that he does and just the amount of like detail that he brings to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every shot is so freaking packed with detail. Like that hanger shot. Um, where there's tons of extras building the plane in the background. They're just kind of running around like bees. Oh yeah. Like he, and I think that that is something that he does really well because he did it with like all the crowd work in the club Mm -hmm. at Goodfellas and then the club scenes here and the airplane scene, like there's so much going on that sets up the stage of the world that we're in. That is just, it's little stuff in the background that I think that just adds so much to it. Yeah. It, it, he just fills this, the, the shot so well. Um, another line that I love before we get to a part that I really want to talk about is he's like, um, I'm talking about like wooing, uh, air force generals and, and everything's like that. Um, and he's like, he shouts to his guy, I want it done legally. I want them bought, mm-hmm. you know, like he knows what he needs to do. Um, so we were just, mentioning that biopics are kind of hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just because like it's kind of, even though it's in a movie, two and a two hour, 50 minute movie, it's like, how do you talk about somebody's whole life? Yeah. What are the moments that you talk about? Cause there's so much, Mm -hmm. which is why biopics are so hard to make. You know, well, because I feel like you're you're gonna go at it from one of two angles. One, here's all the really cool stuff that they did, or here's all the like juicy like shit that they were into. Yeah, and I feel like this one does a fairly good balance of it. Yeah, because by no means do I think that Howard Hughes is a saint at the end of it, but at the end of it, I'm just like, no, but he's a really great man who did a really a lot of cool stuff, and he stayed true to himself. Mm-hmm. Like you said, he was not a liar. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, he was a playboy. He was eccentric. Oh, yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Probably wasn't super safe with a lot of things he did, obviously. Um, But he stayed true to himself. And he played by the rules-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, because within reason, within yeah. Within reason. Um, Do you want to know one of my favorite lines? Yeah. Sure. Who doesn't like tits? Fuck, you beat me to it, you son of a bitch. <laughs> that scene is one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen mm-hmm. uh, in any movie. 
ever. So well, set it, set, explain what we're talking about. So he's trying to make his second movie, I believe. Um, it wasn't or, his second one, but it was it was like the one after. Yeah, it was the Hell's next one Angels. that he's making. Yeah. in in the the outlaw. Yeah, the outlaw. Um, and it's a cowboy movie that just focuses on a lot of sex and boobs, mm-hmm. which, uh, spoiler alert, at the time period was not super chill. Not there was, okay. There's not a, any Netflixing, and there was definitely no chilling. <laughs> there's none of that. Memories. Mm-hmm. Memories. <laughs> that actor. Uh, I've never heard the word memory said so many times in quick succession in my life. Mm-hmm. That actor uh, who plays that part did a lot of voiceover work for the history channel and also was the grandfather of Lorelai Gilmore in the Gilmore girls. So the entire time I was watching him, you know? I think that's the actor's name. The one that basically said that this movie can't play. Oh, you're talking about the guy on the board. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about Bilbo Baggins. No. Um, I actually don't know Bilbo Baggins actor's real name. I always Ian just home. I always just call him Bilbo. <laughs> He's also the android and alien. Yeah, that's true. He's Bilbo to me, though. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I love that scene so much because that's kind of like a rare part of movie history that a lot of people know about. It's just the overarching censorship mm-hmm. that was happening at like the boom of movie making. Like when yeah. the studios were getting made and all this kind of stuff. And Here it comes- was like the studios were countries to themselves. Like Mm -hmm. you were owned by a studio. If you're an actor, like you made a contract and that's the only Mm -hmm. studio made movies with. So it happens to a smaller extent today. Yeah. Cause studios will loan out actors on contract to other studios to get like, they trade them like NBA players at this point. Mm. Um, but it was just so funny just to see them just go and like have a meeting about how much cleavage is appropriate. It's like, really, Mr. Hughes? He's like, oh, I'm sorry. It's my turn. And mm-hmm. then he stands up and there's these, there's multiple huge uh, billboards, not billboards, but uh, like easels with easel, photos yeah. of other actresses Displays of the time. Displays of just a close-ups of boobies mm-hmm. and cleavage. Uh, and he's like, my good friend, the doctor here, will uh, explain to you why the, all the women in these shots are showing more cleavage on a more consistent basis mm-hmm. than the last in my film. Mm-hmm. And, and and Bobo Baggins is like, what? Because he's like this German doctor. Yeah, he doesn't know why he's, he's there. Like, he's like, I'm sorry, what? He's like, oh, you want your, your instruments here? He's like, so you can see the memories <laughs> <laughs> on this one are five inches. Moving on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved the lead up to that scene too because he's in the... Mm-hmm the studio just watching dailies yeah designing an airplane essentially with the back of a headshot yeah which essentially turns into an aircraft carrier while they're watching the dailies of like a sex scene of the outlaw and then also at the end of it he had also designed a bra yeah but that I, i love how that paints a picture of his character that while everybody else would be looking at the sex scene he is literally drawing blueprints for a plane on the back of a picture of a hot woman mm-hmm. and designing a bra while shooting a movie. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Which like, is a real life fact. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but he actually was very obsessive about the button placement on uh, the woman's uh, blouse wow. because the first iteration, he thought that they looked like nipples mm. and it drove him crazy. I could see that. 
Because <laughs> he seems like somebody that would get uh, fixated on small details. Yes, indeed. Um, speaking of which, show me all the blueprints. Show me all the blueprints. Show me all. Man, that's. It's one of those things I'm like. You can mm. you can build you can see the build up to that moment, but you don't know how it's going to play off. It, and it, it it he just burns up so fast. Mm-hmm. And you can DiCaprio um, does such an excellent job at playing a part like the, across the frustration because mm-hmm. you can see that he's trying to say something else. Yeah, but he can't. Yeah, and I watched a, a small documentary about him doing research for this role Mm -hmm. and he actually followed around um, a guy named Edward who had OCD and talked to multiple doctors and and, um, learned habits and afflictions and stuff. But the, the reason that he kept getting stuck in that loop was because he wasn't somewhere in his brain. He wasn't saying it the correct way. Mm -hmm. The intonation wasn't correct. The emotion wasn't correct. The, uh, placement in the sentence wasn't correct etc 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 so he just got caught in a loop of show me all the blueprints show me all the blueprints show me the blueprints and he it's so heartbreaking because his buddy his the engineer who's a where where else has he been in i I swear to god he's been in a lot of other movies i feel like it's like army movies or something he was one of those actors that i'm like he's a character actor so he's been in a lot of stuff yeah look that up i will you bitch um should have looked it up before but uh man and and then he it that's the moment where he takes a turn from being an eccentric obsessive dude with some ticks to oh something is seriously wrong and now he knows it and he's trapped in his own body um and he we cut from him running away from the the hangar where they're building the Hercules at the moment, the big ass plane. And he goes into his car and he's just trying to say something, anything. And he looks like he's um, dying in the car. It's so sad, but DiCaprio sells it so well. Yeah. He plays it perfectly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matt Ross is the actor's name. Sure. Uh, he's been in a lot of stuff, but yeah. a lot of like TV stuff. Okay. So he's been in almost every single CSI. I feel like, yeah, I feel like he's been a cop or something. Um, he was in good night and good luck, which sure. is also an amazing movie. Very good movie. Yeah. Um, down with love, mm. uh, six feet under. Nope. He was touched by an angel. Mm. Mm, he was an American psycho. Mm. And face off <laughs> party of five no oh, 12 monkeys well. no, 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 whatever. like so he's he's just been in a yeah, lot of he's stuff character actor um but like to see his his friend who's always supportive of him mm-hmm. right and he's always thrilled to be working on the stuff and it's, you can tell like this is a guy that howard trusts mm-hmm. um and to see his reaction to be like howard what the fuck's going on does he because he genuinely cares he's not just some employee that like you know well, and also in the time frame that we're talking about, like having OCD or just having some any, undiagnosed, yeah, any sort of mental disability would not be like known or like social norms or mm-hmm. any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, oh, it, it's just 
it's it, it's like one of those movie scenes that I think I had heard about before where he, he just repeats stuff, but mm-hmm. iconic, man. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And so we, we move on from there, uh, to man, the plane crash, the brutal, brutal, brutal plane crash mm-hmm. where at first I was like, that, that was the first instance I was like, you know, some of the CG doesn't look good, even though apparently it's his model plane. Well, into your the build up to that scene is you can tell that the stakes are high and everything, mm-hmm. but he's yeah. going towards the golf course. Golf course, so you're just like, oh, he's just going to crash land on a yeah. golf course. But the scene when he actually crashes, like in the wings, busting through that mm-hmm. building, is extremely well done. Very, very intense. And the way he gets knocked around in the, I was like, oh, there's the Scorsese violence. There it is. Mm-hmm. Well, in like. The the moment that caught me was whenever DiCaprio goes, I'm not going to make it, buddy. Oh, and like in the way DiCaprio sc- screams mm-hmm. in any of his roles, where it's just, it's just yeah! like, it's so scary because mm-hmm. he can tell how scared he is. But the thing I love about this scene is whenever he, first of all, holy shit, the dude gets fucked up. Oh, yeah. He did not have, it's, it's Howard Hughes' not so good, very bad day. I loved whenever the doctor was describing what happened to him and he was just like, his heart is in a different place now. (laughs) I was like, bro, what? One of his lungs has collapsed, his rib cage shattered, both of his legs are broken, his heart's in a different place, his heart's in his ankle now. And I loved how uh, whenever the doctor was telling his financial advisor this and he was just like, whose blood? And he's like, whatever we had. And he's like, he's not going to like that. And he's just like, he's not going to like a lot of things anymore. Yeah. (laughs) His life's going to suck. Mm-hmm. Whenever he gets pulled out of the plane by the uh, firefighter or the one of the... It was an army man. Army man or whatever. Um, Which I, mean, I wonder if He that was... thinks that he is going to die. Uh-huh. I mean, he is pretty much dying at that point. He, he is burned up. He is broken, bloody. And the thing that he says, that he he says what he wants to be known as. Mm-hmm. He says what he, what he wants his legacy to be because he thinks he's done. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm Howard Hughes, the aviator. Mm-hmm. That's who he wants to be. Mm-hmm. That's how he sees himself. And that's all he cares about is I want to be remembered as the aviator. Yeah. Because the planes are my love. Mm-hmm. And you can even see that at that family dinner back then. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Because he wasn't talking about the movies that he was making or anything. He was talking about the airplanes. Mm-hmm. So, like, the the passion that drove him out there is making movies. But the thing that's driving him forward is the planes. What do you think of it is? I mean, I'm sure there are some facts about this. But in, like, an artistic sense, what do you think it is about planes that he loves so much? I mean, he, you know, growing up, he learned how to fly at 14 and mm-hmm. you know, his dad was an inventor of uh, turbine in- engines and stuff like that in, in planes and things. But what do you think it is about planes that he loves so much? Uh, like from my personal perspective of it, it would be like, I understand how airline, like how a plane flies at the same time. I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Like it's a very, like it's just very mysterious and magical and everything. So the ability that, he has to craft something and legitly design a plane and then also fly that plane and everything. I think that that's got to just be like 
one of the most complete moments that you can have to design something to then defy the laws of gravity. Yeah. And also like to build commercial planes for everybody to fly your planes. And it reminds me of that scene, what you said going back to the dinner after he walks out and he's playing with the, the ball and the mallet Mm -hmm. and she walks out and she says, um, no fair kicking. You have to use the mallet and it shows Howard's personality of thinking outside the box and not following the rules. Mm -hmm. And I think that that essence of he doesn't want to be held down. He doesn't Mm -hmm. want to be constrained by the laws of man, much less of nature. And so the fact that he can build and design a plane by himself and you see the way he touches the planes, like it's very sensory, like every little detail, every nut and bolt on each of those planes it's a very like sensual, not like in a sexy way, but like a very sensual experience for him. Mm-hmm. Um, because he knows where all that came from. It was him. It was in his brain. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if being up in the air, being untethered, not surrounded by all the diseases and all the, the, the grossness of man and business and money and people, you know, he's up in the air in something he built all himself Mm-hmm. That he designed that he is in full control of. Yeah. Even though, you know, and by himself too and by himself. And that's why it's so important that whenever he takes Catherine Hepburn up there mm-hmm. and lets him, her fly the plane. No. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's whenever he, he drinks the milk that she drank. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's a, a, just a beautiful way to show it. Um, Conversely, he has all the power and money in the world, but he can't open a door to get out of a bathroom. Mm -hmm. There's so many moments, small moments like that. That just show like no matter how strong and how Mm -hmm. just badass of a person he is, he can't touch a door handle. He can't touch a door handle. Uh, It's just, I wonder what's so fascinating about that to us. What makes people like that so fascinating? Well, because I mean, it's such a simple thing yeah. just to do it. Yeah. Well, because, so you start to see like these little nicks and scratches and stuff and his personality and his armor, if you will. And then you see that all common, uh, come to like a finale whenever he locks himself in his preview room. <sighs> the best part of the whole movie. I loved every single second of this man Mm -hmm. because it is pure madness it is and that kind of frees up any filmmaker especially scorsese Mm -hmm. to do anything Mm -hmm. because everything can happen everything is real nothing is real you know it's all like i said at the beginning it's all ethereal it's all the intangible of his mind intangible or untangible whatever of his mind um Man, and uh, I, I just wrote down at somewhere, I think it was during his mental episode, I wrote down, this is the greatest mad genius movie ever made. Well, because there's a lot of times in that, because I do agree, um, but there's a lot of times, in, especially in the, the madness scenes, that you see Scorsese use like stage lights really well to just like cut the lights out. I and love certain, it. I yeah, love it. Yeah. It was, it was so good. Yeah. Um, 
But also, like, in this movie, like, from T to B, yeah. you have no sense of time. Because it kind of, you kind of think that it happens sequentially over a couple years. Except for the fact that he puts dates a lot mm-hmm. on the screen. So, you you don't necessarily have, like, super huge, like, uh, life events that are kind of time marking okay. it for you. That's what you're saying. Like he doesn't like, he has a family and then the family, mm-hmm. his kids grow up and yeah. he has gray hair now. And yeah. So whenever we come to the scene of him just going crazy in there, yeah. you actually can kind of tell cause his hair gets long, his beard gets long, his, his nails get long, fingernails get long, which all that really happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and the nail thing, he, he would only get his, at that point in his life, he would only get his hair and his nails cut once a year Jesus. because it hurt him to get his nails trimmed because of residual effects from the crash, like mm-hmm. nerve stuff. It was very painful for him. Um, yeah, it, it's really his inner dialogue. And I love the use of the projector lights on him mm-hmm. and he would, he would hang out in his projector room naked and, uh, the milk bottles are a, a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the unbridled, undiagnosed isolation, OCD, and other miscellaneous, just manic, depressive, whatever you want to call it, madness that just takes him over because he's so alone. Um, well, because he's even at like his peak, he's probably hanging by a thread, anyways. Yeah. So then to have. Um, a woman that he loves. Oh, I love that scene, man. The plane that he is created and everything mm-hmm. just to all be ripped away from him. And then for his, the Hercules program and just all this, shut down. everything is just, it's, it's, it's sinking. It's slipping out of his hands. And then, uh, it's almost a surrealist art film at this point, mm-hmm. just because of the way he does use lights and, the quick cuts and the weird way he's talking and monologuing to himself about he's, he's actually speaking out his inner thoughts about the, his OCD. And like, what if I pick up the bottle this way? I have to mm-hmm. pick it up this way and turn it in my hand. And, yeah. The bag has to be presented to me at a 45 degree angle. Yeah. Um, and then Kate Hepburn shows up again mm-hmm. and you can tell, I mean, just the way she carries herself. Like she's moved on. She's more mature, more evened out at least in this moment. Who knows? Um, I didn't really go into detail on her history, but her ending thing, I love that shot of you hear him hit the door and slide down it. And the camera moves with her sliding down, sliding down. Mm-hmm. Oh, fucking love that. And, and she just says, Howard, are you there? Howard, are you there? And it just kind of fades away. Howard, are you there? And no, Howard's not there. He's Howard is not home. And I wrote down in a moment of poetic genius. Uh, Howard, are you there? No, not anymore. It's just blueprints, expensive movies, and milk bottles full of piss. That is poetry. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, because I even like the culmination of all of it is whenever he has his meeting with uh, Pan Am. Mm-hmm. Juan. Juan. Yeah. Um. And he says, you got me backed into a corner. And I basically, he's like, you got me backed into a corner and I don't like it. Yeah. Because it's the first time it's ever happened to him. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so like, as a viewer, you're watching this and you're just like, cool. So how, how are we going to come out of this? Yeah. Like, is this how it ends? Like he just, does he just keep going mm-hmm. mad and that's the end. But you know, never count him out, man. When push came to shove, he opened that door. He cleaned himself up. Can you get me some shoes? I don't have any shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, I can only imagine how bad that room smelled. Oh yeah. My God. All um, the warm milk and warm piss. Uh, uh, yep. That's disgusting. Um, and just on like, but it's the movie theater smell times a billion. <laughs> Like the scent that just seeps into those cushions, mm-hmm. you know, you know, like you oh, touch yeah. the seat and it goes, poof, you know, it's the cloud of just disease and death and nastiness. Um, but his brilliance and pension for being true to himself shows up mm-hmm. in the courtroom. Yeah. Cause he cleans himself up. He muscles his way there. And, uh, that fucking senator should never have gotten an argument or a debate with Howard Hughes about the facts, especially about his legacy. Oh yeah. Cause he, Tony Stark's him. No, I really like just the, the play, how like that whole Senate hearing over that the could have been a play. For yeah. Sure. That it just played out that way and everything. I did think it was immensely funny that he was asking the Senator questions at mm-hmm. his hearing. I was like, that shit don't fly. Loved it. Love it. Mm-hmm. But I saw some of the footage because they obviously their cameras there mm-hmm. um, and pretty much word for word. Like that's kind of what he was said. And it's kind of cool to see the side by side, side by side. But interesting fact that the real Howard Hughes was six foot four and had a much deeper voice than DiCaprio. DiCaprio was a smaller dude, more svelte. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of took on like a southernish accent, mm-hmm. which the real Howard Hughes didn't really have anymore. No, but I think not. it just kind of set him apart. From yeah, the movie because everybody else had like these California. Angelino or New York accents. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of set him as the other, as the outsider, which I think was it worked pretty well. But yeah, man, and he succeeds. He wins in the courtroom. Pan Am gets fucked. Uh, the the one f word said by Alec Baldwin. Oh, yeah, this movie is PG-13, which I thought was interesting. Because um, Scorsese just does R. I would have thought like a lot more F-bombs would have been this movie. A lot more sex. But no. No. Not really. I mean, the... Which is kind of cool. Like, it, it's it's nice to see him working in, uh, through other... Yeah, because, I know. mean, sex is obviously happening around and everything. He just, like, grabs that lady at the very beginning, that showgirl. And he's like... like Isn't that uh, Gwyneth Paltrow? No. Fun no. fact, though, Gwyneth Paltrow was originally supposed to play um, Ava Gardner. Or one of the girls. Either Ava or, Gardner no, wait. Or, or Catherine Hepburn. Wasn't that... It was uh, Gwen Stefani. Gwen Stefani was another girl. Yeah. Maybe that was Gwen Stefani. But yeah. I can't remember. Anyway. But just the... the the confidence and everything that he approached that first girl and just like touched He's her. Playboy. Uh-huh. And it was just like... Fuck. Like if that would have happened in front of me, like if if one of our friends did that to somebody and I was just sitting there, I'd be like, "What the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, how did this just happen? <laughs> Stop it! Yeah, um, this is but then weird." I did like small moment whenever he uh, 
is kind of recovering from the accident and he's living with Ava Gardner at that point. They're not married. He, she keeps on refusing to marry him, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But he hits her and then she just fucking, fucking hits him back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, at a girl. That's right. Hit oh, him yeah. back. Which, you know, you don't see a lot in uh, movies of that time period or Scorsese movies for that matter where there's like domestic disputes and it's like the dude that's, you know. Well, especially in that time period because. Especially in that time period. Yeah. And he like, and because he's not a tough guy. No, he's. She hits him and like cuts his head open. Yeah, he's basically a cripple at this point. And that just shows like Ava Gardner, don't fucking mess with Ava Gardner. She's Ava motherfucking Gardner. Oh, yeah. It's a boss ass bitch. Mm -hmm. Boss ass bitch. Um, but so I, I loved, I loved the Senate hearings and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. It turns out I didn't know where it was going. It turned out like I figured it would. Sure. He would get out of it. In triumphantness. Yep. Um, but I really do. Cause I mean, we're kind of towards the, the end of it, Mm. but I, I really do like how this movie ends. Same. I love it. With the triumphantness of the Hercules actually taking off. Mm Mm-hmm. And essentially proving, like, you know, giving him validity in everything that he's done. Mm. And then it just ends with him basically alone in a bathroom. Well, and it, it just goes to show, like, like his, his triumph and brilliance remains, but so does his madness. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how successful he will continue to be. He is still Howard Hughes and he still has this struggle, this mm-hmm. very real deep secret struggle. Um, well, because- and, and, and the way that at the end, I think that a lesser filmmaker would have just cut the line cut it at the first time he says, he looks in the camera and says the way of the future and then cut it. But Scorsese is a fucking genius and just lets it linger mm-hmm. and keeps saying it, saying it. And then he smiles the way of the future. Like it's a fucking tagline. Mm-hmm. So brilliant. Well, cause it. so often in times you'll, when you're watching a movie, you'll get that like moment of like, ah, success. And then mm-hmm. cool. You know, we're having a party. Let's talk about jets roll credits. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, no, it's just like, Hey, no, he was able to succeed and stuff, but like, there's still like this really big part of him that is not going to be super chill. Yeah. Um, some, some actual real life facts for Hughes. Cause he, you know, super successful went on to make even more money, do more things, but he did not go out super well. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of a cycle. Um, I'm just going to read this excerpt from our friends at Wikipedia. Um, and all their sources, uh, Hughes is reported to have died on April 5th, 1976 at 1.27 p.m. on board an aircraft, fitting enough. Mm-hmm. Which, first of all, 1976, you know, he's 71 years old. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty good, uh, especially for he would, the time. Yeah, you would have thought he would have burned out, you know, in his 40s mm-hmm. at the latest, you know. Um, but he was en route from his penthouse at the Acapulco Princess Hotel in Mexico to a hospital in Houston. Cause he was just, his health was failing and, um, due to drug use and everything else. Mm-hmm. And he died in the air 
on an aircraft, which I think is just a beautiful piece of poetry, you know, Mm -hmm. sad, but, um, his reclusiveness, his reclusiveness and possibly his drug use made him practically unrecognizable. His hair, beard, fingernails, and toenails were long. His tall six foot four inch frame now weighed near barely 90 pounds and the FBI had to use fingerprints to conclusively identify the body. Howard Hughes's alias John T. Conover was used when his body arrived at a morgue in Houston on the day of his death. An autopsy recorded kidney failure as the cause of his death. He suffered from malnutrition and was covered in bed, bed sores. While his kidneys were damaged, his other internal organs, including his brain, which had no visible damage other than illnesses, were deemed perfectly healthy. So I guess his heart moved over. Yeah. <laughs> moved back. Uh, x-rays revealed five broken off hypodermic needles in the flesh of his arms um, to inject codeine into his muscles. Howard had used glass syringes with metal needles that easily became detached. Uh, Hughes is now buried next to his parents in Houston at Glenwood Cemetery. Um, yeah, but all of those different uh quirks and OCD, which is undiagnosed, you know, now about one in five people have it Mm -hmm. more or less from the, the doc I watched from that doctor who said it, um, but it's diagnosed and treatable and, you know, people talk about it and work it out and go therapy and have exercises and all that stuff. But for him who was, he was, I think eccentric in his own right. Cause he's super intelligent, had all this money, super creative, but then he had OCD and other stuff. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, yeah. I think if you would have put Ugh. him in today's time frame, he probably still would have ended up going out the same way because he would have never given himself the time to get it treated. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's what basically happened to Steve jobs. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's just so much more to him. I have this huge, I just have paragraphs and paragraphs of details about, um, his life and his, the manifestation of his inner struggles that I really highly encourage anybody else to go just look him up on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and read about it. Cause it's super fascinating stuff. Very, very sad. Um, well, one of the things that I would definitely say that is a overarching success of this movie mm-hmm. is the fact that like, I didn't take very many notes because I was very much just intrigued by the story that was unfolding in front of me. Yeah. So, um, I think that, I mean, I don't know if we say a movie is a success or a failure, but I mean, <laughs> it's definitely for me a success, even though there's the weird color quirks that sure. I think the stylistic choice that maybe didn't hit. Well, and I think that it works, but for me, I needed a different cue for it. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. But I mean, knowing what I know about it now, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, just the way of the future, the way of the future, the way, the way of the future. future. And I love that he smiles at it. He's like, the way of the future. Like he's realized, okay, I like the sound of that. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of success, to kind of wrap things up a little bit, uh, this was Scorsese's first movie ever in the U.S. to gross over $100 million. Oh, nice. Good job. Um, totally, totally was like close to two sixty million. I remember from, from like a hundred and five million budget. So you know, decent success. But yeah, because I remember when this came out mm-hmm. that it was a big hit. Yeah, yeah. 
I didn't see it, but well, no, they didn't. Know. They didn't need my twelve dollars back um, in the day. The film was nominated for eleven Academy Awards, winning five for Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Costume Design, Best Art Direction, and Best Supporting Actress for Kate Blanchett. Yeah, I can get down with all that, uh, along with a huge slew of other awards. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, editing. I thought I thought it was immaculate in this film, especially like. When, whenever there are camera flashes, it would mm-hmm. cut to an extreme close up on his face. Just like you could feel his, it puts you in his shoes of just being dis, discombobulated. Discombobulated. Oh yeah. Um, well, because the the key to good editing is that you don't notice it. Yeah, it just you're just in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, best costume, best art design. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I feel it's immaculate. I feel like anything that is a timepiece almost has that Oscar in the bag that does it well. Sure. Sure. Yeah, man. Um what are your th- final thoughts on the movie? I mean, just kind of to I guess especially in contrast to Scorsese's first film that we watched, Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Do you have a preference kind of over one or the other? I mean, they're very different but similar in in the same like slice of life yeah movies but i would probably say that uh goodfellas would be more the normal movies that i watch i don't do necessarily a lot of biopics Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like i really enjoyed this one i don't know if i'd necessarily watch it again sure um but i mean i thought it was really good i really enjoyed it i thought it for two 250 on the on the time it flew by really quick yeah which is saying uh, something because <laughs> he's <laughs> playing aviator. <laughs> mm-hmm. What about you? Um, man, I was, wa- when I was watching the movie, I, I kept thinking, I love this, but why? Mm-hmm. And I think it's because of just the whole package, the way it's edited, shot, the acting and the writing is just all so magnetic. Oh yeah. Um, and I think I I would watch this again, and I think I like it more than Goodfellas, just because I never really root for anybody in Goodfellas. Yeah, that's true. And I really rooted for all the characters in this movie. Yeah. Um, and I cared about all of them, and I think it it's it's easier because you know he has more of a concentrated arc, um, and he's not really you know, killing people and breaking the law and, you know, he's not an asshole. Well, yeah, he is, he, but like, he's, he's not a good fella. He, he, you know, yeah. Um, he's not really Yoda laughing in weird ways. Maniacally. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, uh, man, I think that all of it, especially the stylized art house parts are just totally my jam. Oh yeah. Anything that goes surrealist and j- metaphor on screen, I'm like, mm, nom, 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 nom. yeah, it does a good job at capturing all the different time periods and mm-hmm. just telling the story and everything. Like yeah. it, it is really well done. Yeah. I loved it. Um, speaking of time periods, the third and final film we're going to be watching in our Scorsese series mm-hmm. is silence. Yeah. Which I have not, I've only seen, five minutes of the beginning, I think I was barely out of the credits because you know, yeah, I've only seen trailers and I don't remember it. And I heard it was, well, we'll, we'll make up our own minds. Yeah. I won't put any ideas in our head. Yeah. Um, Keep it fresh. Yeah. 
but I do know that it was um, kind of Scorsese's examination of his own Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And this whiskey's very good. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, man, it was, it was good shit. Uh, I look forward to talking about that movie with you in the coming weeks. Um, yeah. I, I think the podcast development should be complete silence in honor of the title. Mm-hmm. The way of the future, 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 the way of the future. Show me the blueprints, the way of the future, blueprints, blueprints, show me the bacon bowl.